Hello and welcome to Keyframes, a podcast about anime. I'm your host, Ben Halliburton. With me today is Andy. Hey, hey, hey. And Duncan. Hello. So I know what you're thinking. We just did an end of the season. Now we should be doing a beginning of the season. But no, um, because the release schedule is really staggered. And also we mm. want to get a bit more road in front of us before we try to take off like some sort of flying car. So uh, <laughs> speaking of driving off a cliff, let's go ahead and talk about how Japan features foreign cultures, foreign languages, foreignness in anime and manga. Um, this was my suggestion. Uh, I I came up with it because I'm a human being with eyes who's watched anime. <laughs> uh, so I mean, that the was pretty easy. Terribly, right? Moving on, we're done. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's so so so. God, that, that <laughs> sigh, Ben. That that sigh speaks more volumes than all Andy's shit housery. <laughs> When you're first getting into anime as a foreigner, someone who's not a native Japanese speaker, it is a lot of learning what the lenses are and which what parts you're supposed to see and what parts you're supposed to ignore. Um, there's a lot of stuff that's unspoken in Japanese culture that you just have to kind of get used to or build your own sort of familiarity with. But it's so when you're watching Japanese anime talk about American or British or French or German or Russian culture through a Japanese lens. There's almost kind of a funhouse effect where you're you're watching your own culture through this distorted mirror where it's not familiar, um, where Americans are tall and talk like idiots and all blonde and the British are still stuck in the 1830s. No jokes, gentlemen. <laughs> about. Yeah. About about your home country and like and like I think that what really makes me think about how Japan sees other cultures and depicts them in its media is say like Bandit Keith from Yu-Gi-Oh where he wears like a jean jacket biker vest and an American flag uh, head wrap and sunglasses and motorcycle boots and is just like this rude brutish asshole who thinks he's gonna win because. Because, I mean, the, the parody from Yu-Gi-Oh! The Abridged series that, that, you know, he just loves America so fucking much. Uh, but, but still, like, one of the most interesting and also one of the more frustrating things is just to see, like, how your culture gets played through this game of telephone. And also what parts are handled sensitively, surprisingly so or unsurprisingly so, and what parts aren't handled. So I thought that that's something that we could talk about. Because, like, we bring up... Uh, the depiction of like Jewishness and blackness and being Chinese in Black Lagoon, like at least every, once every 10 episodes. Mm. And uh, I think we should talk about other shows that do that or don't. <laughs> uh, we can't. I mean, I'm probably going to bring up Black Lagoon again because I love Benny. I love <laughs> I love Dutch. Um, don't I mean, really like Revy that much, but <laughs> what can yeah. you do? I mean, I think, think a lot of it comes from what point in its history japan came into contact with these cultures mm -hmm. um yeah i think like japan i think anime and i don't know if it's true of japan in general but anime in particular has quite a um respectful almost reverence attitude to certain bits of british culture like i i think that comes from the fact that the time when japan was really becoming aware of britain as a world power was when Britain was at its zenith and Japan was wanting to get to that zenith. And so 
we had all these similarities with what they considered traditional, and yet we were this modern superpower at the time. Um, and so mm -hmm. I think like some of the things like they adopted, like for instance, sailor uniforms that are an interesting example because they've got this combination of old values, this sort of conformity and uh, uh, authoritarian tones, and yet they're also a modern design. And so you have these this thing adopted, which is both old and new. And I think that that's a lot of what they they like about Britain, like that um, combination of, of those two things. Yeah, there is a lot of leftover colonialist slash imperialist propaganda um, in how they perceive the UK, just like France is preserved in amber as Versailles. <laughs> and it's like Bismarck era Germany. It feels like America is the one where where there's a lot of different registers because they have the the Commodore Perry era and they have the World War II era and then the post-war occupation and eventually, you know, the economic miracle mm. and becoming a fairly like close trade and diplomatic partner. Um, but for other countries, like they don't they probably don't interact with France that much. You probably don't mm. meet a lot of French people as a Japanese person. Um, so you can just have it be like frilly dresses and long halls of mirrors and Baroque statues and that sort of thing. Um, but sometimes they go further. Like I was, I complain about monster every time it comes up, but monster really is interested in just like, here is a Japanese doctor working in, in a cold war era, Germany. Uh, here are the Germans depicted very much like people and not like weird weird clockwork automatons who love chocolate and uh, and beer which is generally how germans come off in in anime uh and and you have like you have the attempt to like have the characters do the work for the culture rather than have the culture mm -hmm. doing the work for the characters um but usually it's just very easy uh just to use a few like tropes or symbols to make people be like oh yeah i mean andy's gonna bring up Hitali at some point but yeah having yeah bring up oh yeah that's that is germany because chocolate and military uniforms and maybe a flag maybe not a flag yeah depends on what on how that particular series is feeling about nazis at the time yeah yeah Ho no. hopefully poorly but mm. <laughs> yeah but yeah but then yeah we, we say hopefully but there's things like uh tanya where that it's this isn't nazis this is just happens to be a germanic empire with a quasi-fascist sure. structure Ooh. sure and even we even have the cockpit which is just straight out axis propaganda <laughs> and in addition you know, to being some really good art unfortunately <laughs> yeah and then you got like i mean the way that italia gets around it is the idea that yeah, so Hitalia, for those who are not in the know, is about um, a show of anthropomorphized countries um, based purely around the First and Second World War. Um, and it's main, the main character is Italy. Um, and I think the joke is, is that Italy is useless throughout the wars, the Grand Wars. Um, you can correct me on this, Ben, because I'm not a historian. Um, oh, dear. I got I to listen closely when I was <laughs> zoning out. I was like, I know what I know what Italia is. I'm just thinking about, thinking uh, so, about my wall, <laughs> uh, like fairly useless country. So the idea that he is useless and just wants to eat pasta and cooks tomatoes all day. Meanwhile, he's teamed up with Germany and uh, Japan, and um, you know they they are sort of like unwanted friends, as I guess because <laughs> they've been forced as an Axis power. Um, but the way that 
Germany is played, he is, you know, diligent. He's, he's like efficient. He builds like good quality stuff. Um, and then the way that they sort of play the Nazi side is that he has a dictator, you know, that he mentions in passing as something that he doesn't totally agree with, but that's, you know, <laughs> the person that they all follow. Um, so that's an interesting way for Hitalia to get around it. And Hitalia does have problems. Like it's, it's literal jokes are racial stereotypes or, you know, country national stereotypes, stereotypes, national at least, stereotypes. Yeah. apologies. Yeah. Uh, edit that bit. Uh, yeah, national stereotypes. <laughs> um, and sometimes they work and they're funny. Like, you know, Italy, uh, England is really high maintenance uh, and is really standoffish and rude. Uh, America is uh, incredibly rude, but just stupid and like just loves money <laughs> and and hamburgers. Uh, and then but then and then you got like stuff like Sealand is a weird like mini joke in there where he's just underrepresented. And he's like this little kid. A uh, little blonde kid who just doesn't get any attention <laughs> and no one really cares for him. Uh, and then they sort of go for like, in the comic, they did have like Korea and Korea who they refused to, uh, North Korea they had that they now surprisingly didn't put in the anime uh, and is also not in the manga when it got serialized. Um, and then also China, I guess, is is also, kind actually China's all right, I guess. But it's hard to really know. <laughs> it's hard to really know what is like the subtle digs uh, for Japan on a Japanese perspective, rather than like what I just see as a weird like sub joke. Like I think like obviously he always she always carry he always carries a wok, which I guess is kind of racist. But like that's pre that's pretty racist. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's pretty. You guess right. Racist. You guess right. I mean, it's like. I think we've previously discussed like how in Girls and Panzer, like each of the schools is just a national stereotype, and I think yeah. like there is a tendency to just homogenize an entire country into like one or two people to, as representative. Like like Ben said, like how all Americans are blonde, they're haired, blue eyed, uh, um, and incredibly tall, and like how every British person is is reserved and proper, and and wearing a wearing at least a three piece suit, if not something from the <laughs> Edwardian era. <laughs> always drinking tea, like always looks like a butler. Always be butler. I, I like. Uh, like and you have two approaches to that you have things like um girls and panzer which just fully plays into it like and has the british british school just literally drinking tea mid battle in tanks and, and that, that that that's kind of adorable um i love it i mean it's adorable because they like but they're still doing like japanese style tea reading where it's like, oh no the stem like the stem being straight <laughs> yeah. up in the glass and it's like they can't even <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> Brits, Brits love everything about tea. That's not how you make Earl Grey. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which one is that? Is that Jasmine? Uh, it's not Jasmine. They've all got tea names. Tea names as well. Oh, yeah. yes. Uh, I can't remember which one it is. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah, very good. But like, I guess Italia, go, go back to that. Like for England, it's it's not... Like none of them... They're all played for jokes and they're all played for laughs. And I think that England especially is, is like one of the bigger characters and one of the most beloved. And uh, he has... He isn't refined, actually. It's one of those, I guess, one of those things where he tries to come across as refined, but actually he's, he's just kind of bradish and rude and self-important, um, which I guess is a pretty That's good fair. idea. <laughs> yeah, like a better portrayal of us than us being like demure and like, oh, I dare say, Jeeves, pass me the wine. Like, I, I, love, I love the Wikipedia description of, of the UK and in Italia. He's depicted as an irritable man with big, bushy eyebrows. Mm -hmm. While before he was a zealous privateer, he's now a cynical and sharp-tongued gentleman 
whose notable character traits include terrible cooking skills, inability yep. to hold liquor, yep. foul mouth, ability to see supernatural creatures, and inability to perform magic curses. <laughs> yes, because there's that whole bit about... <laughs> There's a chair that we have in the UK that apparently you sit on it and then you die. And apparently there was a genuine operation to get that chair somehow uh, into Germany and to get uh, Hitler to sit on it. <laughs> like that was a genuine thing that they tried to do. Um, oh, jeez. Also, yeah. also his English voice actor, uh, they've Funimation cut ties with him because he was arrested on eight counts of child pornography, which oh, is I... not great. <laughs> He was massive in Funimation. Like he was, he did loads yeah. and loads of roles. But yeah, like the actually, to be fair, um, to the <laughs> oh, no. English dub, it's okay. actually quite funny. Like I was, I have watched that show a couple of times. I watched it in Japanese when it aired, and then I also watched it in English dub. And the English dub is surprisingly good because they really have done their thing of just throwing out the original script and just doing their own thing, but keeping the essence. Um, like a lot more of the jokes land because they're just a lot more, I guess, contemporary to us as like mm -hmm. what we would find funny because we get that reference. Um, it's really actually, a, I would say, search out that dub if, if you want a show which has a fun alt track, as it were, <laughs> if you imagine mm. it like that. Um, it's, it's not bad. It's, it's worth, worth a listen. Yeah, I think that's an, that's an interesting thing that that's... Um attitude of japan t towards other languages is something worth considering as mm. well like a lot of time it's it's played off as this person's speaking perfect english and they're they're a a, a per perfect thing and then then you get something like great pretender where uh, which actually kind of acknowledges is that the actor's not perfect in it and like has a really strong accent and like i think I think it's it's kind of rare to see that equally girls and panzer again where you have a russian speaker and and like speaking russian into the other members of her team who don't speak russian because they they're just russian <laughs> fangirls and so yeah. they don't actually know any russian and she's and that's actually one. an interesting example too because because russian's apparently very hard to speak without a thick accent in in japanese and they have the two japanese voice actresses who are good at speaking russian um, have them there so you can apparently pay attention when listening to to like the people who are fluent in russian versus the people who aren't in girls and panzer and it's real it's a real delight but yeah speaking in other languages can often be a bomb i think of in the second rebuild of evangelion movie when they have kaji speak in the beginning and they have to subtitle they subtitled him in the in the american release because it's just completely incomprehensible they didn't know when they cast Kaji back in 1995 that uh, that he would someday have to speak English clearly, <laughs> and so wow. it's just yeah, he's obviously speaking phonetically and doesn't know what the words mean and can barely get them out. It's really it's really rough. Um, which that's also that's also a limitation to showing cultures is when you when language is a barrier too. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. We we I think we kind I can't remember if it ever happened in the original series but i think one thing which happened in the rebuild is that we get a kind of uh, a, a momentary bit where asuka's uh settings for the the eva's revealed to be german and she, she's mm -hmm. i i have no idea if that that little, little glimpse we get is is actually accurate at all or, or... she's half german right she's yeah. half german yeah but, but and so like, of course she's redheaded and bold and aggressive and yeah, yeah. angry Heidi basically um, <laughs> <laughs> going back to Russia real quick like Russia is an, an insanely like diverse um, sort of 
pool of stereotypes, I guess, in Japan. Japan, like, I'm thinking when I think of the Russian, when uh, Russian examples in anime, I always think of like um, uh, Yuri on Ice, which actually has. I mean, sure that Russian guy is like really bratty and angry, and but like that's not him as a Russian. That's just him as a character. Um, as there's plenty of other Russian trainers and such that he sees in mm-hmm. Russia, which aren't that way. Um, and, you know, like the way that I've been led to believe that the Russian on that is pretty good. But then also like the representation of Russia and also like the food in Russia was like really unique. Uh, I think he, I can't remember what it was. It was like, I, I'm not going to say it, but, you know, the food was really unique in that. Like you could see that they'd certainly put their time into an effort to make a to find a regional dish for him that he his mother cooked that he really loved. Um, and then you got on the flip side, you got Simon from Durara, who's just the worst, um, just the worst <laughs> caricature ever. And it's hard to recommend Durara because of just how terrible he is. Like, And, and they know what they're doing, too, because at the end, when uh, Isaiah is talking to him in Russian yeah. and Simon gives just a perfect summary, summary of like everything that's happened. And Isaiah's like, wow. You're, you're a lot smarter than I thought. He's like, yeah, uh, Japanese isn't my first language. Do you think I was stupid? It's like literally they call, yeah. they call themselves yeah. out for making him this like big, this huge buffoonish black man, which is something that Jap- Japan does a lot. We're probably, we should probably talk about that. Yeah. Um, talking about foreign cultures means talking about race depictions in... And they get it wrong. In... They get it wrong all the time. Yeah. And even then, well, I'd, I'd say that Great Pretender probably has one of the best black depictions. I, I still don't know whether it's quite nailed. Um, no. it's still... <laughs> but I, I do think Great Pretender is is worth bringing up as, as an example just because it treats all its foreign characters as at least in a way that they are allowed to develop their, their backstories and personalities away from a stereotype and it, like the thing you you were talking about with simon like how he his he's basically only ever allowed to subvert his stereotype as as a joke as a, as a twist yeah they play it straight for the whole for the whole all 25 episodes and then at the end they're like haha you thought simon was stupid because we made him look stupid the whole show <laughs> what an idiot what an idiot you are i think abigail overall is a good nuanced character i'm not so sure i'd say the same about the love interest of uh uh, lauren dorothy yes it's it's still some of her her visual presentation could be said to be playing up to to stereotypes but i think her character and her actions uh have more more nuance even if maybe her visual or doesn't yeah yeah i I would also say that then you've also got the other um the asian bad guys um Ibrahim Sam Ibrahim, who's a, a pretty despicable depiction of a Middle Eastern guy who, you know, just wants money and women and, uh, you know, doesn't care about anything else. And it's just like, you're not really painting them in a very good light. I mean, I know the idea is that they're not meant to be in a good light, but like, I mean, really give him some nuance to make him feel like he's not just a complete deplorable piece of shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think you, there's somewhat of the subverting in that you have, have Sam, which is the, the older of the, t- the two brothers, who is just shown as a, pretty much throughout as just a, um, a rich cad, just, just like this person who treats everyone as like just things to be used. And then you have his, his, his brother, Clark, who is actually kind of a bit more nuanced, like is, yeah. and 
is allowed to develop a bit more, but you shouldn't have to say, yeah, but this is the brother who does have a life outside a stereotype of a rich, mm. um, rich shake. Um, yeah, I unfortunately, I think that with a lot of the racialized depictions in anime, what we see is kind of how we mentioned before that, like, it's leftover colonialist imperialist propaganda that, you know, the British are all are all tea drinking butlers and the French are all Versailles and America is, is rich and loves military hardware. Like in Michiko Tohachin and in basically any show that shows Latin America, like it's a, it's, it's a lawless, it's a lawless landscape completely dominated by crime families. Um, that's all that is there. And yeah. with black, with uh, black characters, like I think that what we're getting is genuinely the the stereotypes of black people that they that Japan was introduced to when America opened up Japan and became a trading partner. Like if you don't have this this type of person there and one of your closest allies do like you're going to take it on on credit. And it's telling that like a lot of depictions of black people in anime still have very heavy minstrel characteristics to them. And then with Middle Eastern, uh, when we see it, they're usually terrorists or they're having a civil war. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm thinking about like how many times have uh, has an anime. I mean, Gas Gasaraki is the last one that I can think of just clumsily welded some like a series of syllables to Stan and then been like, there's a civil war mm. in whatever Stan. Yeah. Um, and it's just perma like to be fair, we created that forever war there. Yeah. Uh, the West and did, to, but to- Japan certainly certainly takes our side of that of that uh, racialized yeah, depiction. No, and we certainly aren't uh, uh, immune from doing that ourselves in our, our works. Like the number of times, oh, no, times there has been like a, either a, a Middle East or a, a sort of small Balkan, Balkan country, which doesn't technically exist, yeah, is pop up in a, a DC or a Marvel is just like countless. And I don't know, it's... I. I once again, now you bring it up, like I, I struggle to think of any um, positive depictions of Middle Eastern characters, and and certainly what Ben was saying about um, South America is also true because um, Black Lagoon has its uh, uh, like spin-off series, um, uh, Roberta's Blood Trail, which is set in yes. in South America. I mean, in like in Black Lagoon's defense i hate to say this um <laughs> we've said this phrase way too many times in, in this bit but yes i understand where you're coming from black lagoon is a work of genre fiction and like crime a trashy yeah, work of genre exactly. fiction too. I, I mean i i mean when when is genre fiction not trashy not very 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 uh, very, very enough. maybe okay i'm gonna open up the spreadsheet for future episode discussions keep 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 on talking duncan in Roberta's Blood Trail, it's once again okay. You have this family and crime family in South America, and they're upset, and they have honor, and they have like a way of doing things, and it's all, and they have maids, and then like it's this, yes. it's kind of like the qualities that uh, were exist in Japan's own uh, history of like loyalty and. Uh, master-servant relationships once again superimposed on a, a, on another culture and just sort of those flavors enhanced and everything else sort of paired back so you just get this this tale which is about this this like incredibly loyal retainer uh fighting on behalf of their her doomed uh uh 
overlords to for their honor and like that 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 feels like it could be easily something out of a, a samurai epic if you just like bear pare it down to its its basic thing so it's they're not really interested yeah. in that that culture it's just a, a setting to tell a story they've told it many times before but then why set it there if they're not interested by exoticism is always a drive and unfortunately i think it's one that at least a lot of mainstream elements of culture are turning away from like setting it somewhere else setting your gilbert and sullivan uh musical in the the halls of the japanese emperor or something is not is not something you really do anymore just tell a story about your own culture but then I don't know, some people push back against that. I think you really have to immerse yourself. Like, thinking of Dorarara makes me think of Bacchano, yes. which, and so far as, like, immersing yourself in a historical moment, like, we have Chicago, we have gangsters, we have, like, anarchist terrorist groups. Like, someone did some research, and it wasn't just, it wasn't just their manga assistant coming with just a big sack mm-hmm. of papers, and the, 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 the writer flips through until he finds something he likes. You have to go all the way in. And Bacchano is still, like, cartoonishly in, inauthentic in its Americanness, um and at the same but at the same time like it's not it doesn't feel like a pasted on theme i think that that bacchino would be a very different and actually probably pretty awesome still uh story if it took place in japan um taking like the the kyoto tokyo line or something yeah. but but here with prohibition with like the mob it's yeah you have to you have to uh really immerse yourself and i mean we have to point out also, Bacchino is also extremely white, so <laughs> there's that too. Um, but it's a very weird thing where race kind of disappears a little bit when it's a Japanese Japanese creators telling stories. Because like when when it's an American in an Amer- in a largely Japanese setting, we have to have all these these features that tell you like, don't worry, this is this is American. They're like yeah. horrifically like cocaine thin, and they're seven feet tall. And they only speak in simple, heavily accented, accented phrases. But when everybody is American, then it does have that sort of disappearance. And so then the the settings of detail come out more. But yeah, it's a it's a weird line to walk. And it only takes one thing going wrong. Like I remember when y'all were watching, um, was it Ancient Magus Bride or whatever? Um, And like. I think you enjoyed it a lot, Duncan, but every so often they just get something English horribly wrong and you and it would just throw you out immediately because like there's a line between period piece and mm. bizarre parody pastiche that that Japan yeah. often does of especially Western European countries. I, I've, I've recently ended up uh, rewatching uh, Little Witch Academia uh, with a friend just because trying to find an anime on Netflix which isn't horribly fan servicey and which had, <laughs> has like a non big sort of jump to investments is actually kind of difficult and so uh, so that's actually just really what uh, an easy start point for someone because it's just m- m- very well animated very and like you can just watch that and and get something out of it without too much effort which isn't isn't true of a lot of anime but mm-hmm. it's watching that again and having like more more time to sort of um, soaking the ambience rather than being going, ooh, pretty animation, as as happens with most trigger things. It it kind of reminded me of there are d- different like levels you can like think of a culture at, and like 
Mm-hmm. Little Witch Academia has all of them. Like it, it's got the tourist level where it's, it's the most basic of understanding. It's where you you are going to a place with a very specific idea of what that place is, and you're looking for something to confirm your view of what that place is. That's true. I want to see the ruins. I want to see. <laughs> so they've got this actually amazingly accurate recreation of uh, Glastonbury Abbey and the the tour within the. Uh, sort of fake village uh, which um, the, the series is set and mm. these two really iconic things and, and like as a person when you see them in person you because you, of all the history around Glastonbury you you're sort of going in there with expectations of, of them being these magical things and you're looking for the aspects of them which play up to that and Little Witch Academia mm. just takes that and just ramps it up to 10 and like yeah the tours are a gate to another world and the abbeys the the ruins of, of like when the, the school was like a grand place in the great age of magic and like I, I feel particularly called out by that because I, when I went, it was in the, the, <laughs> my first year of uni, I went there and took pictures for a project. And it was like, yeah, I'm going to use Glastonbury as a, as a shorthand for, for magic and stuff. And it's like, well, if I... You and you and everybody yeah, else. <laughs> join, join the line. <laughs> yeah, if, if I'm going to be that lazy, I can't, can't really criticise them for doing the same. Um, but going a, a bit deeper, you've kind of got the cultural understanding, which is things like... Um, a good fake BBC will always be a, a sort of like plus point to for for, for my un, under, my appreciation of any enemies Britannia and like that kind of shows they've done their homework they've gone and gone and looked for things they've they've looked at at like how we present ourselves the the, the way the media we put out and it's it's kind of like when you separating the tropes from reality and so like Little Witch Academia has that where its cops are. Uh, just normal people in high, high vis with a flat cap instead of these old timey <laughs> police complete with helmets and truncheon. Yeah, they love uh, they love their bobbies. I, don't I they? remember us. I remember <laughs> when we were talking about it being particularly infused that they really nailed a policeman, especially like from the car to their looks. Mm, like yeah. they really nailed some of those designs. And, uh, and like that's that's kind of like a a researched authenticity, like the things you can the things you can nail down about a world and. And that, that I think that's that's kind of like it's it's part of the research. It's it's showing they've got it's a good job showing they've done a good job rather than necessarily a good understanding. It's just okay, these are we we've we've researched, we've actually had a look at this thing we're drawing instead of just going, Oh, I wonder what British is. Um But well, th- it, there's also it also helps with triggers that they do have English national English staff. speaking yeah. staff and it wouldn't surprise me if one of them is British. Yeah, they, they do because um, they they I I happened to wonder into the to watching the the trigger um, Twitch stream once where they were just do, uh, having someone talking while um, classifying cells to be sold for auction and his he was just perfect English um, and it was with a British accent so they definitely have people on staff who are and that that leads to the like the final level I think that you have of of cultures which is the the um, when you when something shows they understand the lived in nature of the world. And I think like the thing, me and you, you Andy both geek out when they, they get things like the, the pattern on bus and train seats. Right. And like that, that's something, you know, because you've sat on that bus a hundred times and what's going by, by in the window doesn't matter anymore. Cause you've seen it a hundred times the the novelty is gone. The thing which you remember <laughs> is that that pattern of, of that, that, that thing, which is stuck in front of your eyes. Yeah. 
52 times a weeks a year and like it just those little details when they get them right that that i think really he can ground you in a place in a way that that the the bigger levels don't and i I think think it's really that's something anime seems to do better than than most things like where because they can be so selective it's not not a case of okay i don't need to source this exact material or whatever to get this authenticity i just have to have a a memory of it and say this is important and we will emphasize that in a little way yeah i mean i I, the last time i remember seeing that was was in pokemon sword and shield i don't know whether it got reflected in the anime (laughs) but they definitely did that <laughs> <laughs> but the British, the, I mean, the latest Pokemon Sword and Shield, they it is actually everyone drink. Andy brought Pokemon. Um, everyone drink. I can't. <laughs> it's a British designer who, who designed the latest Pokemon. Um, so I, that is probably why there's so many such a great representation in it. On the other Incredible. hand, they did call it Sword and Shield, which is kind of blown into nightly uh, stuff, I guess. Yeah, but British don't usually get the the UK doesn't usually get like the fascination with knights and stuff that they, they're not usually the target of that it's usually oh. it's usually france and okay. and germany that that often like in berserk say when we have i guess that's not true because berserk is based after is based on the hundred years war i don't know i feel like <laughs> i feel like uh like implicitly japan believes that the uk missed out on missed out on the middle ages um which there's a there's a there's an argument for that, historically speaking, that like that Britain was a backwater island until uh, until France got interested in it. Um, but mm-hmm. this I, isn't I think, a history uh, podcast. Sign up for my history <laughs> podcast. I, th- I think I think you're right there, Ben. I think like there's not much interest in Britain as like a historical um, thing, but there is interest in it as a mythical thing, like King Arthur, yeah. like in in yeah. the Fate series, for instance. That's true. That's very it's true. Like yeah. they 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 like like if if there's not a female uh, Arthur in your series, you're, you're doing it wrong. Probably is 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 their their <laughs> attitude. Yeah, I mean, I guess that like. A lot of times it seems like Japan wants, especially Western nations, the ones that it has it spent the 20th century competing with in one way or another, um, that it wants them to be eternal. And so everything is kind of frozen at that point. And if if Britain used to be like a muddy, rainy place with mm-hmm. like five or six kingdoms all fighting among each other and was not always this like unified world bestriding power... Yeah, that's not so. We have to if we talk about Britain's past, it has to be the mythologized Albion, who is, you know, prophesized to become yeah. great, and as opposed to, as opposed to, yeah, I don't know, Plantagenet that, 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 England, that, where that's that's a really interesting bit of of analysis, like the 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 conflict between the mythical England and and like the the reality of its kind of splintered and factional past, because that's basically mm-hmm. the the plot of Vinland Saga. Like you've got you, the which the, is coming back apparently. I'm surprised about that. Still, I did not yeah, think we're going to get another and, season. And uh, the second season is going to at least initially be uh, what's life of uh, surfing rural uh, France. Which well, let's yeah, see how I'm they not, shown in that up. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not expo- I'm not exposing my heart, but I'm but I'm going to leave the door open. Yeah. Not to my heart, to my house. My heart is closed. Uh, <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I also guess it must be like a case of resources, right? So. Yeah, thing, I think the big the big thing is is that for a lot of the time there wasn't, you know, they didn't have the ability to send people over to go on location 
Um, I mean, famously, this is why you got look at Studio Ghibli's Germanic stuff and like Kiki's delivery service, and and they did send people over to mm, take pictures yeah. of Germany, of German streets, of German villages, and that's I think why that's, it... that's that's Stockholm, isn't it? Or is it Gothenburg? Uh, yeah, it's Stockholm. I think. I think it's sure. based he- based heavily on Stockholm. Um, but I mean, not everyone was allowed to do that, or not everyone could do that. Mm. Um, and now, so at the that time, like they could only refer back to old, probably history books as to what England and other countries look like. Now it's a bit different. But I mean, I I know as a fact that Studio Ponock, when they did uh, Maria, which wasn't very good. But they did send people over to England to research the countryside, and you could see that they nailed a, a fair amount of, um, you know, British quaintness and countryside and beautiful rolling hills, and then would occasionally do really weird things like have Japanese uh, boxes for the for moving it and stuff, and you're just like, that's not British. We just chuck everything in fucking bin bags or you know, or boxes that we have at the supermarket. But like. Brits are such bodgers when it comes to stuff like that. Oh, we're, we're terrible at moving. Anyway, that's not the point. The point is, is that they, they will get... I mean, they I would it. rather not be good at move, moving anyway. Moving sucks. I never want to move again. I'm not looking forward to moving. Every time, it's just it's just pure dread. Don't you have a house now? Or are you going to move again? Well, I mean, we've got He's a house now. housing ladder. Exactly. Yeah. I've, got to, I've got to move in. I've got to chain. I've got to worry about the future. I've got to worry about, you know, yeah, is, this invite, is this area going to stay good? Should I move to somewhere else? Maybe Headingley. It's nicer out there. Um, or, 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 or Meanwood or Roundhay. It's all of a sudden I know areas now, Ben, and it's because I'm in a fucking house that I bought. <laughs> all um, you need to do, Andy, is get get one of those areas to be uh, featured in an anime and then, then it will become a tourist destination and you can open your cafe there and... Yeah. and Bingo! I, I don't right, think anime Leeds, pilgrimage. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I don't think Leeds is ever going to have an anime pilgrimage. Um, I mean, London does. London does for K on definitely. Uh, yes. Um, yeah, it was I mean, a big deal. Like it, it was enough that like there was a visible bump in yeah Japan, Japanese people coming to, the, <laughs> to to London just to see them wander around and hit all like the super touristy parts of London. So. That's kind of in- interesting that K on decided to come to the UK rather than to America because like. I I also what what kind of music is is Keon? Is it sort of soft rock? Their biggest um, love is the Who, and they talk okay. about Keith. yeah yeah. They're they're more they're most invested in like the the Beatles lineage of yeah. of like pop going to kind of. I mean I don't know what I, it's it's kind Not, of just like super poppy J pop is their is their music. Um, I, I very mean, cute just, and delicate. I would love to I would love to see Kon be a jam band and just get <laughs> <laughs> just follow the, the life of the Grateful yeah. Dead. <laughs> They they are def- they are definitely not indebted to the Stones or or to any like major American like the the idiom of rock starship is the idiom of rock like stardom is is definitely American but their medium for understanding it is definitely just like the Beatles just like <laughs> four or five people everyone has their own instrument they each have a personality which is eventually like you know it's the monkeys but. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, they probably don't know about the monkeys. So I, I would say that, bar like the hippie movement and Janis Joplin, I would say that a lot of rock music is mostly born from England. Like the big ones, Led Zepp, the Stones, the Beatles, they're all British. Like, you know, moving on. That's a very British thing to say, Andy. I don't want to get into it. We want to finish up the segment soon. <laughs> 
just 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 as an abstract statement, uh, all important <laughs> modern music comes from my country. Just, I mean, like he, speaking of depicting other cultures, I guess it's very influential. Mm. Uh, and I'm sounding important because I want you to buy it. <laughs> I do think like it's it's interesting like how music is seen in anime is often differs hugely from how it's actually seen in its country of origin. Like punk is something I see and punk fashion in particular, like that crops up in uh, fruit baskets, for instance, or, or stuff like Nana. And like in the UK, punk is kind the, the thing about punk in the UK is kind of, we know punk's dead because we, we got to see uh, the, the members of um, the Sex Pistols grow old and start making commercials for butter products. Um, <laughs> and, like, and, spouting, and spouting conservative politics. Yeah. yeah. Burn the Witch was like one of the few se- se- series I've seen where you actually had like an, an aging punk in it. So like this, this, this acknowledgement of like that music genres aren't necessarily completely eternal, that they are uh, rooted in times and place and that people who grew up with that do kind of get dislocated from what people are actually listening to today. And like, you, you, I think all of us probably still feel like whatever we listen to when we were like 20 is still like the, the dominant mm-hmm. music form when it is blatantly nothing of, of the mm-hmm. such. And I, I, I wonder uh, like, if whoever created Kaon had a, like a similar, like they were just like a huge Who fan, for instance, and like that, that, that. I, mean, I don't think the mangaka ever went that far. This is purely a Kyoani type thing. I, I would, I just think it's the Beatles thing that they were love following. Yeah, the Beatles are one of those few acts which went completely global. Yeah, I mean they're they're one of the first examples of like truly populist global stardom, not like someone who's famous with each country's elite, but you know, we have the classic British invasion imagery of just like screaming girls vomiting over themselves just from looking at the Beatles yeah. in 1963. So uh, that, that, that reminds me of, um, Taisho Samurai, um, and the David Beckham haircut. Uh, cause, uh, <laughs> uh, like one of the, Taisho Samurai's a, a period piece East. And so it sets at, at the time in the run up to, um, the, uh, co-hosting of the World Cup by uh, Japan and I think it's South Korea, and that was that was during the height of Beckham mania, where every, everyone and their their brother is getting this like sort of mohawk, and like one of the the trainers shows up one day and is like, I, I've got a new haircut, and it's just <laughs> catching in that that moment how everyone was trying to jump onto this this bandwagon and and completely not getting it, it felt really authentic and. I think kind of like authenticity in in inauthenticity at times, like that that acknowledgement that you you don't get it. It sometimes can actually be the the most authentic thing you can put out there. Yeah, I mean it's better than faking it. Yeah, which is often <laughs> I think to tie us really far back to our original starting point and hopefully wrap up there uh, is what a lot of times anime does. Like the, when you can see that they've just googled. British police officer and been like, oh yeah, Bobby's, I knew about these guys, and just put them in their <laughs> gotta scroll down like two more lines to see actual real British police officers. I mean they can do that now. And I'd also I mean, um yeah, they can do that now. You can street view stuff. Like you can you can yeah. and it it does make it better. The only other thing that I was gonna say specifically in terms of like black representation in anime, that is also slowly going to get better. Yeah. Like hopefully and there's a really great YouTube series, I think done by the BBC about a black guy talking about 
his relationship with anime and how you know like he loved dragon ball z and how great it was and then the only black character is this ridiculously offensive black representation i think mr popo who's just got like straight up minstrel blackface and it's uh, appalling um and uh he was saying at the end that you know it is going to get better because at the end of the day that the only way the only way they can get better is by having more representation of yeah. black people in society. He specifically mentioned stuff like the Boondock Saints, which is, mm-hmm. I mean, it's an American like show, but he was like that, like very anime inspired that whole uh, TV, yeah. like anim- Adult Swim. And then also he's, there are, um, I know a French animation studio, and I think also some Japanese ones, which are having, you know, black people hired to be artists and to be character designers. And, you know, they are going to bring over like, to hopefully make that change. I, I don't know whether you guys checked out the Star Wars anime trailer. It yeah. felt like there was a lot of like black characters who were fairly decently like... I don't know whether you were shaking your head in disagreement or because you haven't watched it. No, I just I don't care about Star Wars anymore. No, that's fair. And, <laughs> you know, a lot, of, a lot of Japanese animators do because it was a big thing of their childhood, yeah. just like it was for millions of other kids. But, like... yeah. If you look at that trailer, you'll see that there are some black characters in there that are represented in a very respectful and very good way. That isn't just, you know, Mr. Popo. <laughs> yeah. So the future's bright. <laughs> like, the the one thing I'll say, say to that is I uh, recently tried to watch uh, Yasuke. Um, and mm. I, I think the tried to watch bit of, of that sentence um, probably gets what i ended up feeling about it (laughs) however i went against my natural inclination at first and i decided okay i'll uh this has a a western director uh i'll listen listen to the english dub because it's it's dubcast has got um lucky stanfield as as the lead and he's like Mm -hmm. a pretty well-known pretty well-respected actor and sadly it kind of felt like he was phoning it in and um, when I went back and watched it uh, with with the uh, Japanese audio, I was like astonished to feel the character was done h- hugely better, like with so much more nuance and understanding of the the role in the performance. And I was like, oh, oh I wonder who who's who's doing this. And the answer is a young actor called uh, Jun Sojima, who is a Afro-Japanese uh, gentleman, and that's an, a really interesting thing that they've gone out and they've found someone who has already worked in the Japanese entertainment industry. He he specifically works on, uh, I think it's the Cayman Rider shows as a, as a, as an actor, and this was his first. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's been a yeah he's been a small time uh, live action actor yeah. for now. This is his first voice acting yeah. role, and he absolutely nails it. He had a, he he did really really well, and I I sort of tempted just to keep keep listening to to the, to that track because I want to see this authentic performance um someone who's who's very much understands that sense of being someone who's having to reconcile two very different identities which is key to the character he's portraying and like mm-hmm. i think that's maybe the the thing for japan going forward to to actually look to its um minorities within the country rather than bringing people in and giving yeah. allowing them to voice those characters with their authentic experience and i think that's the fact that he's 
obviously talented is hopeful like I'm, I'm hoping this won't be his last role he'll get a, a fair few more next time they they need it, someone to voice a character like they, they won't just have someone and put in an impression they'll have someone doing it authentically and and maybe that's something which more broadly applied can just be a positive trend for anime yeah i mean more more consultants more people more people more sensitivity and diversity consultants more people who are the subject working on the subject it's a slow process, but at the very least, since yeah. distance working is easier than ever, since there's more of a demand, people have had the demand for like authentic and grounded portrayals, uh, better articulated. They have more terms with which to articulate them. And hopefully they'll, it sucks to be like, eventually we'll grow out of this awkward phase. But like when, when it's not a caricature, when you know it's not a caricature, when it's somewhere, somewhere, when someone who's working on it has been there or has lived in that culture, it's just it's a better experience. I don't think we're losing anything by losing the absolutely just like parodically out of touch portrayals of certain certain cultures, mm-hmm. especially minority cultures. And so, yeah, may it may it happen swiftly, I guess. Move on and upwards. And, you know. And and the only thing you can do is you can just celebrate and applaud it when they get it right, yeah, uh, yeah. and and then hopefully that praise um, and then acknowledge it and kind of move on when they get it wrong. Yeah, yeah. It's it's look for the uh, the diversity within rather than assuming that it's got to, that diversity is only found without that culture. Like the acceptance yeah. that 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 yeah. their culture is not a monoculture. That there is diversity within it and promoting that. Yeah, well, that's. Yeah. Uh, I think a lot of that, just to complete, take a jumping off point, is a lot because of historical, racial, cultural forces. A lot of East Asian and a lot of countries all over feel the need to present themselves as a as a mono ethnic monoculture. And Japan has enormous diversity. It's it's Afu population, as that word probably will fall out of fashion over time, and probably rightfully so. Fingers like, crossed. Is full of is full of um, is full of immensely talented individuals um, who deserve to have their stories told and to tell to tell others' stories. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we'll see. Yeah. All right, we're gonna come back and talk about talk about Urusei Yatsura and Tokyo Revengers and maybe Godzilla. going to talk about Godzilla Singular Point, which is currently on Netflix, at least in the US. Um, I think you're going to have a more detailed discussion of it later once you've had time to digest it. But like, I'm getting advertised to show a lot on, on Netflix um, and you like it. Can I you just kind of... Yeah, I got advertised and I was like, what was the it looks a bit cheap and i was like what is this garbo show i'm not gonna but it has a, it has it. a fucking sweet pterodactyl with like multiple teeth inside its beak well in in terms of of production you've got you've got bones doing doing all the uh, 2d animation and you've got um studio orange doing all the uh, 3d animation and that's a pretty good pedigree in terms of their respective fields my my 
expectation with any Netflix gods Godzilla thing was that it was going to be a cash in. Like this is just going to be cheap 3D monsters, bad animation, probably dumb as hell plot. And I was extremely t- surprised to find like that the monsters start a bit naff and then actually improve hugely. Um, mm-hmm. And that it actually is a hugely affectionate um, to the history of Godzilla. It's, this show's effect on me was to make me sort of more more interested in every aspect which went into it. I, I want mm-hmm. to... I want to watch more Godzilla now. I want to find more works by the the writer. It uses is all the its elements so well to create this hodgepodge of reverence to the the old Godzilla mythology and uh, media, combined with this speculative science fiction story, which is thoroughly modern and does that very uh, special thing of making me feel both very dumb at times and then tricking me to thinking <laughs> I'm smart and 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 that's 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 quite an achievement because it's, it's clearly talking about things well above my pay grade but it's making me think I think I understand them when I clearly don't that's interesting because because Karma Burn in the Karma Burn review he talks about how it's just wall to wall techno babble and he can't invest emotionally in it but clearly it's grabbed you in some way the affection of it, of of the telling, has clearly grabbed you. I mean, what's it about then? Like, I mean, is it just a straight up Godzilla thing? But like, I can't imagine Godzilla <laughs> working episodically. So it's sort, it's kind of a plot based around a mathematical concept, which is is a strange thing to say. Like this idea that um, you have a start point and things get as things evolve, they get more complicated and more chaotic and more difficult to predict it starts with just a single um single kaiju like not even a big one like just a a slightly large pterodactyl menacing uh nowhere town and ends with godzilla who's taller than skyscrapers basically wrecking tokyo in this tornado of red dust and like between those two extremes it's it has each of these little iterations towards this conclusion and it's has elements of not time travel, but um, I can't even describe it. Of, time, of, time loop, time shenanigans, time, yeah, it's, time it's, dilation of non-linear time. Of ah, uh, it's of of the idea that um, you can take an action in the future which will affect the past, and the the mathematics around that, and and using that as a base to east to build its its plot around and has such has such sells that that with such a pomp that Mm -hmm. it takes what could have been a really dry eye premise and and instead makes it into this great um speculative fiction disaster movie and uh the, the kaiju start out a bit dumb and uh uh kind of uh, pathetic and end up like world destroying and and that that transition from how how we sort of view these old gods godzilla films and was like how they're kind of like 
when you look look at Godzilla, oh, he's just like this this puppet, this this guy in a suit, and mm-hmm. like they start out as like this curiosity, which people just go, oh, oh, this was just one thing, and it's a one off, it's a bit of a freak. Oh, we'll make some merchandise of that, we'll sell that, and everyone just enjoys it, and then then it becomes an existential threat, and no one's enjoying it anymore, and and that 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 arc was just great to follow, and I think it's. It's a really wonderful work of speculative fiction, and I I was entirely surprised by that fact. Um, I I think you'll enjoy watching uh, Shin Godzilla then if you haven't watched it already. I, I, because... I've, I've 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 basically queued that up as as my next next watch because it's made me enjoy Godzilla so. I much. think it's following the same lines too of of like God, understanding Godzilla as like accelerated, almost like metastatic evolution. Um, is definitely where Shin Godzilla is coming from, and it's as it's as a metaphor for the Fukushima disaster. Um, but it's cool that they're staying with that, even when they're talking about other things. Which I'm sure this is not talking about Fukushima, but it's probably talking about some some nature of how the Japanese government relates to its public um, mm-hmm. or something like that. I I think you sold me. Is it twelve episodes? Yeah. Oh, it's not bad. Is it? Sorry. I mean, like the only thing I like is it just literally like. Here are Godzilla's go destroy things, <laughs> or, or is there like a per- like? Does it revolve around like a central person or like a? a it, like, it it has like, two. Uh, where's the heart? It just feels like it, you're just it, sort of explaining around it. Where's that. the heart, girl? That it has. It basically br- has two branching storylines. Uh, one fo- following uh, Yun uh, Arakawa Yun, who's basically this. Uh, handyman almost like he's he's kind of like uh i don't know there's this this trope of like the incredible the guy who's too smart for his job the, uh, and like he's very much that like he's just working as a handyman but he's also happens to have made a, a an ai ai um and you have um uh kamino may who is is just like this uh slightly dorky um university postgrad student who's who's spent most of her life doing these uh uh projects on uh imaginary life forms and suddenly this purely theoretical um uh subsection of uh, a discipline suddenly becomes uh, life-threateningly relevant to to the world and those two are the these two two different lines which converge and separate throughout the the course of of the show, and the way those two are interleaved with near meet near meetings and uh, cross purposes uh, is a lot of the the story. And and they, it's it's not a love story, and it's it's not anything that it's just different views of the world and how they complement each other and are essentially different ways of looking at the world and how through combining those ways you can come to a greater understanding. Then they defeat Godzilla. And then someone defeats Godzilla. Yeah, <laughs> one, not to spoil Shin Godzilla, but I, I, watching it and rewatching, I do like that. Like, it's not about defeating the monsters; it's about understanding why they're here. Is a much more explicit, I think, yeah. uh, point of the show. I've literally never watched a single Godzilla movie. Well, Shin Godzilla is a great place yeah. to start. Yeah. Also, well, that's anime, apparently. The, the other <laughs> thing, the final thing I'll say about it is, I it kind of made me love the old Godzilla music because, like, you, you, you know, you've got the and like 
I hadn't really heard it in uh, in like good a good master of it, you know, with with like every, every note done perfectly, and just hearing that sort of like coming out of the television and in full volume and just with dramatic action to back it up, it, it was just it was just a great great eat and worthily iconic uh, a bit of of music, just because it it's got this this menace and this triumphalism to it mixed together and like oh it's it's so good and it's so so it's it's of a kind we just don't get get these days it's so pared back it's it's not like this symphony of different instruments interleaved it's just like this this very strong central it's like performance just blasting out and yeah it was great and i, I enjoyed enjoyed how well it used that um and yes good stuff i was wondering i was wondering who did the music because i know uh saga Soshiro did it for shin godzilla and actually reused several evangelion motifs in it which are great to hear um but the guy who did it for uh for godzilla's singular point is khan sawada and you would know him as the guy who did the music for uh Yawapita and for uh for the doramon movies the most recent doramon movies oh, cool. and also just Godzilla singular point too. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, talking about time traveling mm-hmm. stuff, uh, I've been watching um, the Tokyo Avengers, which is a, a time tra- about a guy who time travels uh, from his current existence to his younger child self uh, in like thirteen high school days, uh, trying to save his girlfriend who gets murdered. By um, a bunch by the uh, by the Tokyo Manji gang uh, in his present, uh, but at that point it's his ex girlfriend, um, and uh, like I I would say just from the off it is good. Like it's a really great show. He he him and like his girlfriend's brother, like his girlfriend's called Hinata, and um, his brother. Uh, I've forgotten his name. That's annoying. <laughs> I can't remember his brother's name. It'll come to me. But yeah, he <laughs> Godzilla. His brother. <laughs> his brother. His brother Godzilla. Um, him and his ex girlfriend's brother. Um, realize they have a time traveling mechanic where they can go back to his time as a kid. Uh, and try and help to save him. And uh, for the first season, it's really good. Like they introduce a lot of great characters. You- and then uh, him, uh, Takemichi, sort of tries to get involved and really forces himself from being like uh, this kid who's a bit of a scaredy cat who cries and runs away to actually having to confront and face his demons and his enemies in order to get what he wants, which is to save his girlfriend, ex-girlfriend in the past, current girlfriend in the old timeline. Um, and actually, like, it was really good. Like, the 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 way that that all played out with this big battle um, at the end was fantastic. And I absolutely adored it. My only problem with it is actually what's happened afterwards. So I guess if you're spoiler alert averse, then just switch off the next couple of minutes. So <clears throat> he saves his girlfriend uh, and it's great. Like it's a very sweet and nice moment. He, um, he then goes back into the future and the timelines changed. His friend who's previously killed himself is back and he's like running a hair salon, which was his only dream. And it was sweet. Um, and then he meets uh, Hinata, the, his ex-girlfriend. Uh, and, you know, there's a nice scene there. And then they fucking kill her off again. And I'm just like, 
Uh, why? Why are you doing? Why? Why? Why kill off the character? Like, I have no problem with with that him needing a motivation to continue the story or to go back. And like, there are definitely like thread threads and plot that is unresolved. But also, like, why make it that your one motivation is the girl? And it, it really and it, it was it's such a ham fisted way where she literally got sitting in a car waiting for uh, Ta- Takemichi to come back from the toilet. And then another car literally just like runs into the other car and blows up. And you're just like, what, why, why are you killing her again? Like it, it's such a trite and lazy way of continuing the story. And I- bridging a woman again after she's already been dead before. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, like, could you not think of any other person to kill or give any other reason to go back in time and continue this story? Um, it felt really forced and ugly and I hated it, like really hated it. And then there's, you know, Hinata's funeral, who for this in the future, she's been like his ex-girlfriend for like 10 years or something. And then his mum, her mum gives Tanjiro just like, oh, Hinata would want you to have this. And then gives him like this guy that she's not met in 10 years, like, give this this handkerchief with like the burnt present that was like a necklace that she had that was in the car like and i'm just like why why would the mother give her the ex-boyfriend a present of this like destroyed fucking like article and be like yeah she'd really want you to have the present you gave her she'd really want you to have that back but now destroyed and as a as a reminder and i'm just like what the fuck is wrong with you woman <laughs> it's it's fucked up it and it's a shame because i i really like the show and i really want it to can you and you know when they go back in time and they are going to go back in time now and solve other things yada yada like that's going to be great and like the rest of the cast are absolutely fantastic i just wish they hadn't fridged the woman in such a horrendous and trope and disgusting way um sounds lazy yeah it is lazy and that's purely it like could have killed even if it was something like oh like here's my mum and dad i haven't met them in a while and then they get killed like at least that's a better reason at least it's something different and not just fucking the woman that he just spent the last 12 episodes saving to have an hour or two of respite and then be killed again fucking bullshit and it made me mad (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that sounds like bullshit. Yeah. Well, I also have something time-related. I, uh, when we had uh, Van Pogamon, uh, I was frantically trying to think of what stuff in my hopper was around his like sweet spot for anime. Uh, I didn't know that he that he uh, <laughs> that he was watching Ergo Proxy, uh, and so I just clearly latched onto that. Uh, but uh, no, so I watched. Uh, I I started rewatching Slayers. Um, which has stalled five episodes in for the past month, so not not great. Uh, but I also, I also, uh, man, it's just like watching someone's really just like shitty sociopathic D and D campaign. It's it's, um, I'll start binging it eventually. I'll just make myself a whiskey highball and really push through. But uh, in in the meantime, I also watched uh, Urusei Yatsura 2 Beautiful Dreamer, um, the second of the two Urusei Yatsura films made by Mamoru Oshii. This is the one that basically kicked off his career. Uh, he directed Only You before, which I said I enjoyed, but was just a, just a, an hour and a half 
Urasayatsu episode um, <laughs> with better art, uh, which is how a lot of anime movies tend to be if they're connected to a large series. Um, but Beautiful Dreamer is trying something philosophical and artsy. Uh, it's the eve of the culture festival, um, but things are kind of weird. Uh, one, the teacher starts to like act erratic, so he's sent home. And when the school nurse goes to check on him because they can't call him, he finds that he's sitting in his apartment. It's covered in dust. And they begin to have a theory that maybe they're stuck in a time loop uh, where it's always the night before the culture festival and they're sleeping at the school. So they don't realize that Um, they're just perpetually uh, preparing for the culture festival. And there begins to be a frantic inquiry, which actually was pretty impressed with. Usually people... Once they begin to suspect it's a time loop, they find evidence very quickly or they decide on it very quickly. This has like full almost 30 minutes of them like finding evidence this is a time loop, being like that's not possible. And then someone points out very accurately that like, what day is it today? When was the last day you went home? Like when was when was the last day you saw someone who wasn't here in the school? Um, since they're just perpetually ordering takeout in and not going home and sleeping in the classroom and waking up and working on the on the stuff. Uh, and eventually <laughs> I guess spoilers for uh, a, jeez, uh, a very old movie at this point. Uh, <laughs> 37 years old? I, yeah. think, I think you're past the sell-by date for spoilers on it. <laughs> yes, a movie that is, that is one year older than me. Um, <laughs> so, so strap in. Eventually, they, they um, through use of a Harrier, because one of the guys in, in Urusei Atsura is like this, this rich boy who's... Uh, who's the heir to his Ibatsu. So he, had, he brings like a tank to the, to the culture festival and they get it onto the second floor and it, it keeps threatening to fall through the floor. This is very typical Urusei jokes, but they get a Harrier jet and they all climb on the Harrier jet and fly outside of the, the dark zone and discover that they're on the back of a, a turtle being upheld by these people who've been gradually disappearing as they figure out that's a time loop. And it turns out in the end that it's a, that it is a, uh, that it is a like dream dream dude, a, a, the dream demon who like gives people dreams. Um, who no one's ever been nice to him because everybody hates the dreams he gives. But Lum was nice to him, and so he gave her a dream where she always gets to hang out next to Ataru, the piece mm-hmm. of shit who she happens to be in love with. That's the whole gag of that's the whole gag of Urusei <laughs> is that this like beautiful alien girl by accident falls in love with like the world's worst woman, what would be womanizer. And it's just totally devoted to him. And he is just terrible to her. Um, but they're stuck in a dream and they try to get out of the dream and they go through a bunch of different things. And finally he's forced to admit that he actually likes Loom and says her name and they get brought back to normal. But do they, the dream eater and the, and the dream demon um, are working the culture festival and they're going to keep an eye on him. Um, it, This is one of the things when we talked about the Pat Labor movies um, way, 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 way back when um, I said that they'd been overhyped to me because Oshi is just like supposed to be one of the just the most supremely thoughtful auteurs of of that era of anime. Um, And so this is just like this absolutely standout work just emerging from the dross that is that is Urusei Yatsura as a TV show and a manga. Um, How it's got this this it's based on Urushima Taro. It's got this like reality manipulation, the relationship in between what we experience in dreams and how we feel and think and act in reality, the idea of a time loop, which the Wikipedia page suggests with a dead link um, was introduced to modern Japanese fiction by Urusei Yatsura to Beautiful Dreamer. Who knows? 
Um, I had too many expectations coming to this, and I thought it was fine. And I kind of regret that, but I think that's just when a film is, is 37 years old and when you've been watching anime pretty obsessively for the past 13 years, like you're going to get stuff that has too big of a reputation. Um, you're going to hear about how this allowed Mamoru Oshii to move into the space as an art, as a, like kind of an art film director and how, you know, he uses to make Ghost in the Shell and then eventually Ghost in the Shell Innocence, which I heard someone say yesterday was the worst Ghost in the Shell piece of media. And so I got about as angry about that as I did about <laughs> Andy saying that the UK invented rock music. Um, but yeah, like, but yeah, like <laughs> imagine, imagine Dark City, but based on the back of a based on the back of a just a gag, uh, a, a gag sex comedy. And that's what it, what it kind of got from it. And it was just nice to like. The old art's great. Eventually, once the world begins to fall apart after the dream demon realizes that he doesn't need to keep up the the artifice of them living in a real city, they begin to live in this bizarre, like, blasted landscape where, like, the buildings are all crumbling and they've built this kind of small society. And one of the characters appears to have gone mad, but instead he's driving around the tank and firing to try to figure out the limits of the world so that they know, like, where the dream stops and oblivion begins. It's interesting. It's incredible that someone that someone read Ursa Yatsura and said, I've got this pretty good <laughs> time loop dream thing. And then and then 30, like, uh, what, 26 years later, um, Christopher Nolan watched it and was like, hey, I can make Inception out of this. Um, well, that like, sounds like all his stuff. <laughs> that sounds like something that he was like, I've got this great idea. And now I'm forced to do a movie about Ursa Yatsura. How do well, I was, just... Yeah. my idea then. Yeah, it it is kind of that because he's part of a two band director team, which I feel between this and uh, Sailor Moon both had two man director teams where one of them was like a wild auteur and the other was just like a guy collecting a paycheck. And Ikuhara goes off to make Utena after doing Sailor Moon, and Oshi goes off to make his career after yeah. after Urusei Yatsura. Um, but yeah, it, it does. It does seem. I think this was made near the end of his tenure because he jumped ship after I think two seasons. Um, the seasons being like fifty six episodes long, so like not fucking around seasons. Um, but so this is kind of him just being like, yeah, I'm, I'm not even going to stay near the premise. But there is a lot of integrated stuff, and like the idea. Whenever we have these sort of fugues where Lum and Ataru get like definitive proof that they shouldn't be together. They always end by having this wonderful scene where wonderful, maybe in scare quotes where Ataru realizes that he, that he actually likes Lum. And when she's not around, his life's like really boring and he's just like this loser who keeps striking out with women. So maybe it is nice to have like a, an electric alien girlfriend who, who is unbelievably devoted to you and only shocks you a few times just, um, because just you're an asshole. Just looking at the poster, Ben, it's like a really visually striking po poster in, in like like her lum diving down and her hair creating this dark background, which the city's in. And like that, yeah. that uh, is, is, does it like, is it, is it quite a striking film for its time? It is, although it has budget and presentational inconsistencies mm -hmm. that keep it from being just absolutely visually stunning. But like the design work is, is great. And it's got it just has that handmade feel that now I like automatically bumps up a movie one point out of ten for me when I see it. I'm like, oh, hand painted cells. Oh, man. Like when they fly on the Harrier and they're flying around 
the world and they the, the world's a disc on the back of a turtle held up by like giant stone figures of the school nurse and the perverted Buddhist priest and all these other authority figures who disappeared. And like that is all being done by someone with a ruler and a protractor and a compass <laughs> and good for him because it looks it's inconceivable to not, that you would be able to do that without a computer. I mean, most people probably can't these days, um, except for maybe like architects who are used to drafting like really, really complex stuff. So that part, it's, it's a it's an impressive technical achievement. And if I've been down on it, it's mostly just because, like, I don't like Urusei that much, only in small <laughs> doses. So, like, taking taking a, a 98 minute dose is invariably going to be a hard thing. And then just like I've seen Oshi do better stuff. It's the sort of thing where you, re- you read someone's book. and You're like, oh, this is really good. I'll read their debut novel. And they're like, oh, hey, they uh, it's fine. They obviously were still working on their skills here, um, but uh, but no, I enjoyed watching it. Um, I and I, if you're at all interested, I say that you should you should go ahead and and check it out. You don't need to know anything besides that besides that uh, besides that uh, Ataru's an asshole and Lum is devoted to him, and all of Ataru's friends hate his guts because they don't understand why you wouldn't want a like wifely oni girlfriend to follow you around forever (laughs) yeah Yeah. well she's like she's very domestic too like she she's really bought into like it's it's a little bit like dragon maid how she's just totally bought into the idiom of just like like wifely domestic service for her beloved and he doesn't want it for different reasons than kobayashi doesn't want it but it's still the same sort of dynamic um but yeah and the music is wasn't enough for me to bring it up to Van Poggum, so I, I just this is, this is me this is me getting my money's worth out of having watched a watched an hour and forty minute movie. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it sounds like a fab, interesting movie. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, and yeah, and if you're interested in Osh- in Oshi, if you've liked him in his Pat Labor movies, if you liked uh, if you liked Ghost in the Shell, like here's a place to see more of his very meditative philosophy and the time the them figuring out the time loop and just like the denial is done a lot differently where I feel like people either are like, okay, we're definitely in a time loop because I can remember this just happened or they're completely oblivious to it or in denial. Um, and this is a bit more people being like, okay, there's other explanations for what happens here, but a time loop is on the table. And I feel like maybe because if Wikipedia is right, that this wasn't a common idea in Japanese modern media culture, the tentativeness makes it a lot fresher. Um, and makes it a lot more interesting. And the conversation that the teacher has in his like covered in like six inches of dust apartment with the school nurse who comes to check on him. And she just, she keeps giving logical answers and he's just like, yes, but have you noticed this? And she's like, well, that's probably this. And he's like, yes, but have you noticed this? And she's like, well, okay, that's probably this. And he's like, but all these together, you have to admit it. I don't know. It's interesting. Yeah. Okay. That sounds well, fun. Maybe I'll give it a, a watch. Just I'm yeah, kind of interested probably... in it as an, as an artifact. Yes. Yes. And I like the Urusei Yatsura designs. I think Lum is sexy as hell. There, I said it. Cancel yeah. me. I don't care. No, I, uh, I, <laughs> I, I, can't, I can't disagree with you there, Ben. I think we're all on that first... first speaking, of, speaking of Wikipedia speaking of Wikipedia claims, uh, yeah, claim that she invented Moe. Anyway, yeah. let's go ahead and wrap it up there. Uh, remember, rate, review, and subscribe to us on the podcast platform of your choice. Find us on Twitter at KeyframesPod. Find us on Facebook. Search for Keyframes Podcast. Email us questions, keyframespodcast at gmail.com. Our topic next week, well, next two weeks, will be beginning of the summer season. 
and tell a friend about that. But not just any friend, Ben. I, I would tell the, the friend who, who you told probably a day before. You think you did, but then he was like, wait, didn't you already tell me this? Isn't this like the first time? And then slowly you realize you're in a time loop where you just rec- recommend this amazing podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and you just watch you just listen to it over and over and over, over again over and over and over again <laughs> get our stats boosted baby <laughs> well well hello and welcome to keyframes a podcast about anime i'm your host ben Howe. just kidding just kidding <laughs> duncan andy everyone say goodbye goodbye bye, bye.